You're listening to the COVID-19 Update, a podcast from the CSIS Global Health Policy Center focused on the science and policy implications of the outbreak. I'm Andrew Schwartz of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and I'm joined by my colleague, Steve Morrison, to discuss the latest on COVID-19. I'm here with my co-host, Steve Morrison, as always, for our coronavirus crisis update on COVID-19. And we're joined by our guest, Jude Blanchett, who's the China Studies Chair at CSIS. Jude, we want to ask you about a bunch of things, but let's start out with, this has taken a turn. The United States uh, and the Trump administration is engaging in a war of words with China over how this started. In fact, um, Peter Navarro, the president's economic advisor, uh, wrote an op-ed in Fox News where he's calling on American enterprises and Americans to support this nation's war on the Chinese virus. In the same op-ed on foxnews.com, he refers to the COVID-19, the coronavirus, as the China's Wuhan virus uh, about five times. What do you think's going on here? Yeah, so obviously we would hope this would be purely a a public health response from from the U.S. and from China, but this is now being embroiled in a top-level political dispute between Beijing and Washington, D.C. Of course, the context for this is that we were already, prior to the outbreak of of the coronavirus in December in in China, we were already seeing U.S.-China relations entering what at the time we thought was the nadir, but we've now seen that things can and, and in fact have gone even lower. So just in the past week or so, as you alluded to, we've seen at the, the highest echelons of both the Xi administration in Beijing and the Trump administration, a war of words, both over what they're calling the, the COVID-19 and also where they're assigning uh, blame for the outbreak of it. In the Trump administration, there's been a concerted effort by the president himself not to call this by its scientific name or or the widely accepted names of the coronavirus or COVID-19, but in fact to call this the China virus or the Wuhan virus, Wuhan being the city where the virus first emerged. Trump's really doubled down on this. He's been called out on this. Why are you assigning a name to this? And folks have been raising concerns about the blowback for Chinese Americans or Chinese more generally Uh, by ascribing this uh, or calling this the China virus. And and Trump has doubled down by saying, you know, this is where it came from. That's why I'm calling it this. I think really what we're seeing is that Beijing is uh, attempting to pivot from its own problems with uh, dealing with the COVID-19 and is now trying to reposition itself as a global force for good in helping to uh, share medical devices and medical expertise and, and Washington is trying to push back against that. You also have a nativist Trump administration, which has tried to call this a a foreign virus, really to limit the amount of of blame to the Trump administration. So they're very clearly saying, China did this, this is the China virus. The problem is as these two administrations double down on on this tit for tat, it's frustrating the ability of public health officials in both countries to find avenues for cooperation at precisely the time when, uh, both for the good of the US, China, and and the world, these two countries need to find uh, ways to to work together. But the politics right now in both Beijing and Washington, DC, lend themselves to this this further nationalist sniping. Steve, do you want to jump in on this? Yes, that was excellent, Jude. Thank you so much. A couple of points to add to what Jude just laid down. 
Our diplomatic capacities in Beijing and across uh, the consulates have been hollowed out significantly. There was a pretty dramatic piece on that in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, our scientific uh, research and development, public health cooperation through the CDC office has stopped for all practical purposes, which is a, at this moment in time, uh, very costly in terms of trying to understand the the course of this pandemic and have open exchange and the like. It's now pretty much stopped in its tracks. And on the question of the confrontation and the counter narratives, the Trump administration narrative is that China was the source of this pandemic and its failure to act early led to the explosion and then export of this. Uh, the China narrative is that it has it is emerging from a remarkable historical success in imposing measures that brought the daily case counts down from 3,500 a day six weeks ago to zero at the present. They're worried about importation of cases. Um, they're worried about reignition, but they are hailing themselves as a great success and bringing the story to Italy in terms in the way that Jude said and casting Europe and the U.S. as as on a road to failure. The other thing I'd say in terms of the price we're paying by this geostrategic escalating confrontation um, is that here we are today, New York, one of the epicenters globally of the outbreak. Uh, we're likely to see more in the coming weeks. We're in the accelerating phase of the epidemic in the United States, and we know that we face stark shortfalls in protective gear, in ventilators, in skilled uh, health workers and providers who can who can operate in this environment. Exactly the sort of inputs that the Chinese have generously provided to the Italians. But are we pursuing any option uh, at an official level? Absolutely not. I mean, putting Peter Navarro on the task force, the the White House. COVID-19 task force, and then and then tasking him with dealing with the corporate sector and coming up with this purely nationalist vision means that there's no way in hell that this administration is going to humble itself and ask for assistance from the Chinese, which are ramping up their health production. As they've gone back to restart the factories they made health a top priority, and that includes protective gear, includes pharmaceuticals. Um, it includes things like ventilators. So China could actually be helping us with production of the goods that we need? We have acute shortages here in the United States of those critical things that I just outlined. Acute shortages, and we're at high risk of our system being overwhelmed and at risk of collapse under the worst of scenarios. And the governors and the mayors and the state directors of health are all uh, yelling at the top of their lungs saying, we need this. Where's the national, the strategic national stockpile? And they're all, what Juliet KM has described, this has now become a hunger game in which the mayors, the governors, the the health directors are scrambling after the same scarcely available and now price gouged items that are on the marketplace. And you have the president refusing to invoke and make use of the Defense Production Act, which would have empowered him to direct industry to, on a crash basis, 
turn their assets towards meeting these critical shortfalls. Instead, the president has said, I'm not a shipping clerk. This is up to the governors and the mayors to find solutions and appealing to the private sector to step forward voluntarily and begin uh, helping meet some of these critical gaps. There are corporations that are stepping forward. There are Chinese corporations that have stepped forward with offers of masks and gowns and goggles and swabs and all of these other critical materials. Um, but we are not, the, the Chinese account for a huge portion of the production globally of these critically important elements that critically important to protecting health workers. And if we wind up with eight or 9% of the fatalities in the US, as we've seen in Italy, eight or 9% of the fatalities are health workers. It just decimates your health workforce. And that is our, we're at huge risk. So my notion is, given these realities that we've just talked about, the governors should get themselves organized and open a direct dialogue with Beijing on this matter. I just want to jump in on this because I think there's a, a couple of points to build on what Steve just said that are, are really important right now. You know, Steve just mentioned the Defense Production Act, which the Trump administration has been flirting with. It's important to remember that in China, they didn't have to utilize something like a Defense Production Act. And Beijing was able to mobilize state-owned enterprises, for example, immediately to begin ramping up production of some of these, these critical uh, you know, personal protection equipment, face masks, testing kits. Now that China is essentially bringing the domestic spread under control. So in Wuhan, the, the center of this, this is the fifth day now with no new uh, official cases. It's important to remember that they don't count asymptomatic cases in the data. But nonetheless, now that Beijing is really bringing the, the spread of this under control in China, it means that the production capabilities have now led to a surplus of equipment. And so I'm sure Steve is getting these as well, but emails are coming in at the subnational level from uh, Chinese businessmen like Jack Ma or other elements of, of the Chinese government offering donations of face masks, medical equipment. This is China's reaching out at a, at a subnational level to a lot of people in the United States trying to make use some of its surplus gear. It's of course should be noted that this is absolutely to some extent coordinated and, and Beijing is trying to, uh, as Steve was saying, uh, highlight the superiority of, uh, of their governance system and to, uh, I think, share to the news of their victory. That being said, we're in a position right now where we have a country that has a surplus of equipment that we need. It's offering to help, but you do notice that national level pride is getting in the way here. Isn't it getting in a way on both sides? Like, aren't there conspiracy theories coming out of China as well? And aren't the Chinese maybe provoking us on their end a little bit? Yeah. So the point I was just going to make, the point is that the national level pride is getting in the way of the United States in the same way that it has been getting in the way and frustrated Beijing's early response, where it was looking askance at offers of assistance and communication with U.S. public health uh, officials. But I completely agree that Beijing is peddling its own conspiracy theories. I think the point is, what do we want to prioritize right now? And do we want to prioritize a national level political dispute with Beijing? Or do we want to essentially shelve that for the time being and recognize that we're in an acute shortage, as Steve has been highlighting over and over again? 
And even if it comes with a little bit of a geopolitical price, Beijing is, is one of the few countries in a position where it can help meet some of these acute shortages. And we need to do it in a way, I mean, let's be honest, the Trump administration, the last thing it wants to do is reach out to China and give China the opportunity to paint itself as saving America, right? So sure. they're blocked politically and emotionally on breaking through these barriers right now. Governors are not blocked in that way, nor are private companies or foundations that are stepping forward saying, we face a colossal catastrophe if our health system's overwhelmed and our health workers are not protected and we can't put people that need to be on ventilators to save their lives on them and have to engage in a kind of cruel triage, unlike anything we've seen in our health system in years. I just don't see why that option can't be pursued right now. Is it a difficult option for the states to negotiate directly with the Chinese? I'm not certain. I put that question to the National Governors Association earlier, and I, and I haven't received a response yet on that. And I know that there are different people in the United States that are looking at this problem to see whether there could be some additional motivation provided through private philanthropies to try and make this work well and work better. To the question of the epicenters, the hot zones, I just can't see why, you know, Cuomo leads trade missions all over the world, right? And they've got the mechanisms, they've got the relationships, they've, they've the path. It's not like this is some brand new pathway. Yeah. Let me ask you guys this, though, something we do know something about. There are dueling conspiracy theories coming from both China and Washington. Why do you think that that's happening right now? And how can that be reduced to fix some of these problems? Yeah, and just to, in terms of dueling conspiracy theories, it has been the case that China um, and, and officials close to the very center have for decades blamed uh, outbreaks, whether that's SARS or H1N1, on shadowy US-led forces. This is not a new narrative. And again, it's, it's an attempt to deflect the source of, a, of, of an outbreak to a hostile foreign force. What's striking now, though, is that Beijing is allowing this conspiracy that the one that's now being peddled is that the U.S. Army uh, brought the coronavirus to Wuhan during a, a exercise last year. And the U.S., for its part, is saying, again, as I mentioned, that this started at a, a, a bioweapons facility in, in Wuhan. What's striking, though, is how high this is moving in both administrations and how sustained it is. On the Chinese side, you have a official Ministry of Foreign Affairs spokesman, a guy named Zhao Lijian, who is on Twitter actively now promoting that this is a, a U.S.-caused outbreak. And again, remember, Zhao Lijian is not speaking on his own. He could be reined in in about five seconds if Xi Jinping thought this was going too far. But both sides are now trying to leverage this and cast blame. You, you had a, a, the same failures that we're seeing in the Trump administration of delay and denial occurred in Beijing for the better part of a month and a half. You know, we had er outbreaks in early December. It wasn't until January 20th that Xi Jinping first spoke about this publicly. So we, we've seen both governments really stumble in the early stages of this. And so both are casting about for blame deflection. May I add just a couple points to that? Andrew, I think your question it's important to emphasize that uh, this is a pandemic, a global pandemic unlike anything we have seen since 1918-1919 Spanish flu. And so assigning uh, blame 
and responsibility for something that's so devastating. Uh, and we haven't seen the full range and scope of that devastation is enormously consequential. Uh, second is U.S. and China are in a strategic competition across the board. And thirdly, the leadership of both countries are on the line over this particular matter. So you add those three things together, we shouldn't be surprised that this kind of paranoid um, name-calling you know, blame game is, is escalating right now. Uh, in this particular time, you know, Trump is trying to deflect blame for the chaos and incoherence of the White House management of this particular pandemic as it is now moving into the acceleration phase um, when we've now seen an epicenter in New York City. And the expectation is that the next six to eight weeks are going to be very, very rough. It shouldn't surprise us that he is attempting to externalize responsibility in this period. And it shouldn't be surprising that the Chinese are having their own reciprocal calculations. It's also worth remembering that the reason Beijing hasn't put the brakes on its own conspiracy theory mongering is it's by no means out of the woods. And although it's really heartening to see, even if we doubt the specific number of the statistics, the trend is, and the range I think is, is undeniable that Beijing has made great, great progress in, in stemming the spread of this. But it really has a significant issue ahead of it, especially on the economic front, where now we're seeing not only a, a shutdown of external demand coming from the United States, the largest economy in the world, but now actually we're likely to see something bordering on a global recession. That's going to rebound back into Beijing and frustrate its own efforts to recover economically. So you're going to have this one, two, three punch where China first dealt with a catastrophic outbreak of the coronavirus. Then it dealt with a, its own domestic slowdown, which it which it's still dealing with. And then third is going to come back around when you see the drawdown or the slowdown in external global demand come back into China. So, so as Steve was saying about the, the fight that Xi Jinping is having to put up right now, um, this is going to continue on for, for some time. And I expect that the more loudly you see the Xi administration trumpeting its success uh, and the success of its governance model, you, you can be assured that, that that is an indication that it is worried about clawing its way out of this. Yeah. May I just add one thing to what Jude just laid down? Rolling back the controls and getting trying to get businesses operational again is a very tenuous and delicate process in China. And it's go, stop, go. It's being tracked and examined very intensively down to the individual and to the individual business. And we're seeing restaurants open, then reclosed. There is certainly virus circulating uh, and they are hypersensitive that there could be a second wave or there could be reignition and outbreaks and clusters that appear all over this country. And so they are in a delicate moment in which Xi himself has to begin to reinforce to his own population that the through the narrative they're developing, that um, they're on a successful pathway. And people still have to be very vigilant, submit to extraordinary levels of oversight, how they manage the return to an operational economy is going to be very informative for us because they have micro data 
that we do not have. They have testing data, but they also have an ability to continuously track what is going on uh, down to the micro level that allows them to begin to roll back the controls. We're going to need in the coming months a much better data system in order to have our own economy come back. And we don't yet have that. Steve, let me ask you this. With all the rhetoric going back and forth between Washington and Beijing, how is this affecting cooperation between scientists and doctors in China and the U.S.? Well, the, at the official level, as I said at the outset, the cooperation between our scientists and Chinese scientists, which has a 40-year legacy to it, has basically stopped and been stopped for some time. And uh, the only exception in recent months was when the WHO delegation was finally permitted to come into China in mid-February for roughly a week's time. Uh, Two Americans were put on that study group. They were two very senior Americans. That study of what has happened was overly congratulatory and glossed over a number of different very sensitive issues like very high infection rate of health workers, what's the animal origin of this virus, uh, and a number of other issues. The China CDC has a team now looking at the animal origin issues. We are not part of that discussion at all. So, you know, things are broken at the moment, and we should be striving to find a way to repair that but I back to Jude's point, it's corollary damage to the deterioration of the bilateral relationship and this escalating confrontation. So the prospects for getting that level of cooperation up and running again anytime soon, fairly minimal. Jude, any final thoughts? My big worry about this is the path we're on now between the U.S. and China is not even near to hitting its its lowest point. And I suspect that both administrations are really going to dig in their heels um, unless and until there is uh, significant enough external pressure, whether that's outside of the Trump administration from governors and from business uh, or from the global community, because we are, you know, as, as we're seeing here, even if the U.S. begins to tame this in the next month or two, we are not out of the woods on this. We, we have a significant global economic problem we have to deal with here, as well as the public health problem. I think it's important for both Beijing and Washington to try to shelve as much as possible the sniping, because this is now going to exacerbate for both countries the cost to, to human life and treasure. Jude, for Steve Morrison, my co-host, and I, thank you very much for being here today. It's a fascinating discussion. Thank you, Jude. Thank you.